Hello and welcome to the Movie Mouth Film and TV Podcast, a podcast for the casual, diehard or nerdiest of filmgoer. On this week, we have an embarrassment of movie releases to discuss, where we'll be giving you our honest, spoiler-free opinion on Chloe Zhao's Marvel debut with MCU's The Eternals, Denis Villeneuve's long-awaited Frank Herbert adaptation Dune, Wes Anderson's newest caper, The French Dispatch, then we have Edgar Wright's first foray into straight-up horror with Last Night in Soho, before finally slapping Matt Damon and Adam Driver in the face with a velvet glove in Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. All this, plus in our recurring Video Store Corner classic film discussion section, we sit down to watch a film that neither one of us had seen, but it was voted for by you, our listener, on an Instagram poll. Yes, I'm perfectly okay in space, you fucking idiot! It's 1981's Sean Connery sci-fi Outland. On top of it all, we will be discussing the latest film news, trailer reactions, and throwing in as much geekery as you've come to expect from Team Movie Mouth. This is Miles, and as ever, I am joined by a man who once said, Today you people are no longer maggots. Today you are Movie Mouthers. You're part of a brotherhood. From now on until the day you die, wherever you are, every Movie Mouther is your brother. Most of all, you will go to the movie theater. Some of you will not come back. But always remember this, Movie Mouthers die. That's what we're here for. But the Movie Mouth podcast lives forever, and that means you live forever it's gunnery sergeant phil hi phil <laughs> hello there how are you old boy <laughs> i'm all right how are you yeah not bad not bad cracking Good. on what's Good. what's new in your life at the moment um <laughs> <laughs> it's fireworks night oh that's exciting what does that mean it? what does it mean well, is that july 4th is it is it some kind of independent holiday? i mean you know what it means as a brit but i think <laughs> trying to explain it to americans is probably quite difficult uh, just you stick a fake guy in a wheelbarrow, you drive it around town, you go up to people's doors, knock on the door, ask for a penny, and then you take it, throw it on a bonfire, you set fire to it, and everyone cheers in jubilation as this thing goes up in flames. Yeah. I mean, it's basically a celebration of <laughs> of a terrorist. <laughs> but is it's it a fine because it was ages ago. Or is it a celebration of a terrorist being burnt for his crimes? Well, both. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's more likely. <laughs> more likely what it's about, isn't it? <laughs> Still, you know, but yeah, so listeners, if you do hear pops and bangs, it's not my bum. It's uh, <laughs> it's the sound of fireworks being let off that I can't control. Um, it might be my bum, though. Um, yeah. It might be mine. I'm just lying. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I, I just uh, managed to take off all of my makeup from Halloween this year. Had a nice little uh, dress up. I saw the photos. Um, it was amazing. I did post, I posted it on our Movie Mouth uh, Instagram, but you may not have seen it. I dressed up as Marv from the Wet Bandits and I went with a friend to one of my good friends' house parties, Halloween house parties, as Marv and Harry. And we won the funniest award costume. You won it? Yeah, we won it. Yeah. And I had a. Well deserved, but it was. it was awesome. I actually had this This one woman came up to me. We were in the kitchen. And bear in mind, it was like 1 a.m., but this one woman came up to me. I think she was trying to remember who she was dressed as. I think she was dressed as like a ninja or something. And she came up to me and she was like, hey, you should watch this movie Home Alone because you look just like the guy that's in it. And I was like, <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because that's who I'm dressed as. I don't just go around with a." Iron imprint on my face. Yeah, you, I've not really been struck by an iron. 
from a height. Well, I mean, wouldn't be the first time, but no, <laughs> not on this occasion. But no, it was really fun. It was a good Halloween. It was a very American Halloween. We went all in this year. And yeah, that was that. Brilliant. What have you been watching this week, Phil? More important. Um, do you know what I did watch on the Halloween theme? I watched, um, for the first time in a long time, I watched The Exorcist because <gasps> it was on the telly box. Did it scare the uh, living piss out of you by any chance? It was more freaky though. I had not seen it for a long, long time. And it was more freaky than mm. uh, than uh, I remember. And I can definitely see why it got banned at the time <laughs> yeah. as well. <laughs> it's pretty inappropriate. But William it's Freakin's very good. 1973 horror classic, I believe. Yeah, it was very good. It was very good. And it was interesting to see uh, the uh, after you've been on the location quite recently. Yeah. On the stairs. In the end, that Father Karras falls down. Yeah. Flipping over there. Yeah, it's really good. They put some, apparently put some rubber like uh, trimming on those stairs. But I've got to say, they're pretty steep and they're very hard. They're real stone, you know, stairs that they've got there. Yeah. In Georgetown, DC, this is listeners. But one thing about that is that he goes flying out the window, right? And then down the stairs. Yeah. But like after that, when they're, you know, when. You know, she's getting in the car and she's all well. And you see where the window is compared to the stairs. It looks nowhere near it. It's like a no, mile it's, away. And having been <laughs> to the house, I can tell you it's, it is a long way. Like, <laughs> he flew. He didn't fall out of the window. He flew out of the window. He'd be dead by the time he hit the top of the stairs, not, yeah, not right. even the bottom. That distance. Know. Yeah. But still, not taking away anything from it. It's a great was that your Was that your Halloween movie that you watched? Yeah, I didn't really watch anything else Halloween-y. Um, no. No, that was it. Exorcist for me. So I went all yeah. serious. You know, none yeah. of that slasher rubbish. No. I went for full. Well, I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did the complete opposite. I watched slasher rubbish. I watched Freaky, which is another Blumhouse horror production, one of those $5 million budgeted Blumhouse productions for Universal, oh, yeah. starring uh, Vince Vaughn as a serial killer, as a slasher in a town. I'm a slasher. I must be stopped. And he, <laughs> a slasher of prices. I run the local supermarché. Um <laughs> <laughs> he sorry going back to the film Vince Vaughn um, is a serial killer and over the course of a night due to this weird weapon that he touches and stabs this young girl with they change um, each other's bodies so she inhabits the body of Vince Vaughn this young right. girl and Vince Vaughn as a killer in, inhabits the body of this teenage girl at high, in high school so it's Blumhouse vice versa it's Blumhouse vice versa it's exactly wow. that it's exactly that um, but it's kind of fun, kind of fun, kind of kind of stupid. Um, don't can't say I'd recommend it. Uh, there was some, <laughs> there's a really weird scene in that film. I wish I could talk about, but I don't think the film's been out long enough. But all, okay. <laughs> all I'll say is that Vince Vaughn <laughs> makes out with a very young boy in the back of a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, and the more I say about that, the more chances are that I'm going to be arrested. So I'm going to not say anything else. Uh, what else have you been watching? Um, not too much else, really. I've, I, well, I've been sort of re-watching um, Squid Game at the moment because my wife started watching it. It's interesting seeing it for a second time round. Have you watched mm. any of that yet? So I watched all of it after our last our last episode where you, oh, you have, recommended right. it and said that you were watching it and how obsessed you were with it. Yeah, I, I watched it. We we watched it in about two or three days. <laughs> Yeah, whole thing. it was only like nine episodes or whatever it was. But still, I mean, it's like, you know, a punishing schedule to Intense. sit through nine episodes of people being executed left, right and centre. Yeah. What did you think of it without, you know, no Absolutely spoilers. loved it. 
You liked I absolutely it, loved it. No, no spoilers. Absolutely loved it. Um, and yes, that's all I will say about that. Okay. Definitely one that I'd go back and watch again. It's good to see yeah. Netflix doing this kind of original um, content over like a lot of the stuff they can kind of pumping out at the moment, like you and Bridgerton and things that aren't mm. really maybe for, for me, I don't know, but going back to some of that original hard hitting content is good. It's good to see, uh, what, some world cinema stuff like that getting such a, a public recognition as well. Yeah. Like it's everywhere in it. It went complete meme crazy with that. It did. And I was actually, and, uh, I was, I was talking to Jason Kim, a uh, friend of the podcast, yeah. um, featured on our, on our bond special. Um, he obviously is a Korean American. And I asked him when we were down in Baltimore a few weeks ago, whether, um, whether I should watch it with the dub or with the subtitles. And he was like subtitles all the way. Uh, yeah. The dub is apparently really bad, so watch it with never the subtitles. And, no, I never, never dubs. I never ever watch dubs. I don't but care so much, what it so is. So much character in that, like, and so oh, much I know because you're watching someone else's, well, listening to someone else's performance. Yeah, but watching someone else's performance, I can't, I can't, like, I, can't I can't do it. It's just like mm. it makes it instantly cheap to me. Yeah, watching dubbed yeah. stuff, mm. hate it. We'll come on to some it. fun dubbing later in the uh, video oh, store corner section. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I, I mean, I, I powered through that. I've also, I'll tell you what I have been watching as well. I, a friend of mine who's absolutely obsessed with this got me into it. I'd never, I think I'd seen like three or four episodes, like when I, back when I lived in the UK about four or five years ago and uh, never really got, got into it. And maybe I wasn't paying attention to it, but I'm now obsessed with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, okay. With Charlie, Charlie Day, Rob McElhenney, uh, Danny DeVito, um, it just started, just started from the beginning. It goes way back to 2005 until the most recent season 15, which is just being released. Um, what I love about it, it's R rated. It's absolutely morally bankrupt in every way. It's a lot like Curb Your Enthusiasm, but darker, you know, where you're kind of watching a lot of improv improvisation and scenes and things like that. And, and you're seeing more of the protagonist's personality on the screen than mm. characters that have been created. Do you know what I mean? It feels like yeah. these are extensions of, you know, or, you know, um, the, you know, magnifications of specific character types in this. And, and it, it's awesome. Plus Danny DeVito's in it. So you gotta, you gotta watch it, but you gotta, um, gotta be watched. Yeah. I've powered through, I'm, I'm on season five now. Um, and it's just like that 20 minute comedy that I'm just dipping into constantly now. I just absolutely love it in the U S if you haven't watched, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. You can watch that on Hulu here in the US. And uh, Phil, I think you said it's on Netflix over there in yes, the UK. Yes, I believe it is on Netflix, yeah. So definitely check that out. If you like things a little darker, a little harder, and as morally bankrupt as I am, uh, I would suggest you go and watch it. <laughs> All right, let's jump into the news. Um, so I think just before maybe we go into any more detail in kind of recent movie and film news, I wanted to just firstly say a huge thank you um, to all of our listeners uh, who subscribed and dialed into our James Bond No Time to Die special episode that came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you actually made it our most popular episode to date. It racked up more listens in the first week than any other episode in our 34-episode run. So thank you so much for that. Um, we appreciate it. Um, if you haven't listened to it already, you can download it now on all podcast players to hear what Phil and I, along with film journo Sean Crisanthu and our Bond uber-fan Jason Kim, all thought about the new movie in spoilerific detail, as well as an official movie mouth bond ranking of the movies, actors, and some fun top five lists that we put together. 
Um, we will also have more spoiler specials, fun specials coming to you that will focus on specific movies. Um, so continue to use your Movie Mouth subscription. All those subscribers that are out there are going to get that directly downloaded onto your podcast player app of choice. We'll keep you updated on that one, won't we, Philip? We shall indeed. All right. Do you want to get us hit off with some news? Let's do it. What yeah, you got for me? you got some news about my future wife, haven't you? I have, yeah. Um, <laughs> old, uh, <laughs> uh, Gal Gadot. Oh, what Gadot, say, however then? you want to say what's, it. What's, how, what's how would you say my future it? wife saying? I say Gal Gadot, but only okay. because um, she's Israeli and I worked with a lot of Israelis in the past and they pronounced it Gadot. So I thought I'll just oh, well, say Gadot. Probably no. But I think you should say Gadot because you always get the names wrong and it suits you. I do, so. yeah, I know. <laughs> so- <laughs> Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, she is. It's been announced that she is in final negotiations to play the evil queen in Disney's live action adaption of um, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> so I think it's, um, yeah, so obviously she's going to be the main uh, villain. Um, as I said, she's in final negotiations to do it. Um, but uh, it's going to be directed by Mark Webb, who did The Amazing Spider-Man and 500 Days of Summer, mm-hmm. and produced by Mark Platt from La La Land and The Trial of the Chicago 7, a movie mouth favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you've got um, people in it, sort of like uh, Rachel Zegler from Shazam and Fury of the Gods, West Side Story, and she's going to play Snow White herself. And I believe that production is due to start sometime next year. That's quite exciting. That'll be an interesting one to see on the sort of list of live action Disney stuff that they're they're doing. Yeah. There's um, been a lot, haven't there? There's been a lot of these live action Disney remakes, movies and so on. I know they're making Little Mermaid at the moment. Um Right. And a and a few others. It's funny actually. I I, I subscribe to a a casting call email for extras. I was an extra in a few things a few years back, and they <laughs> emailed me the other day asking for a double a body double for a uh upcoming disney movie being filmed in london so i wonder if it's that yeah maybe yeah i don't know what kind of schlubby five foot eleven british guy they're gonna have starring in it <laughs> but, but, <laughs> <laughs> i mean i could definitely play like i don't know like grumpy or dopey or something yeah you'd definitely be one of the dwarves but that's not, <laughs> that's not You, you could play, play all of them. I'd have you play all of them. Uh, all the dwarves. Oh, that'd be amazing, <laughs> wouldn't it? Like the guy in uh, the, the Willy Wonka, the Tim Burton Willy Wonka. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I could guy. do all yeah. of them, just dressed you in would. a different prosthetic. Yeah. Are you only good at whistling? Are you only good at singing at hi-ho, hi-ho? Yeah, I sing it daily when I'm <laughs> on my way to work. Are you walking along the road with an axe over your shoulder, like a pickaxe? Yeah. Yeah, I've got one of those. It's on, I've got it right now. I'm one of those weird gnome hats that they wear. Yeah. Yeah, I wear that to bed. It would suit you perfectly, actually. I think it would suit you. Yeah, perfectly. I agree. Anyway. I'll do that. I'll do it for free as well. So, Disney, if you're listening, Phil would like to star in uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, not Sleeping Beauty. But, I won't, but I'll only do it if I can be all seven. <laughs> but he'll only do it if he can be all seven. And Imagine I'll be the, the body credits. double of anyone you want, except Phil, because he's a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there we there are. You go. Well, thanks for that, Phil. Um, right. Oh, hang on. What's that? It sounds like a klaxon in reverse. Oh, no. 
No, it's just the Christopher Nolan news klaxon. <laughs> yes, this is the news that Christopher Nolan, um, who is directing the upcoming biopic Oppenheimer about the uh, inventor of the atomic bomb, uh, starring Killian Murphy in the role of, of Oppenheimer himself, has just cast Emily Blunt into the film alongside Matt Damon, Yes, while interstellar connection there with Christopher Nolan and Robert Downey Jr. Oh, so that's a very exciting, yes, super exciting cast, and also great to see Killian Murphy get a starring role in a Nolan film. Considering I think he's been in almost every one um, to to date, uh, mm. so great, great to see him in there. And I would love to see a little Michael Caine cameo, even though I think he said he's pretty much retired. retired from acting now. But yeah, yeah. The first part, Maybe. that's called splitting the atom. The second part, <laughs> that's called the bomb. <laughs> the bomb goes, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off, not the actual, yeah. uh, the world. Yeah, not Hiroshima. The third part, that's called the mushroom cloud. Um, <laughs> so we will see whether that, when that movie comes out, it's looking like that's scheduled for July 2023 release at present but obviously pandemic provided we shall hope it will be released on time um we've got a lot of reviews to get into this week so do you want to jump into the trailers before we do that we shall yes let's do that let's not break convention miles uh okay Okay, well all i want to know is phil is are any celestial bodies about to fall down onto the planet at any point well it's funny you mention that because yes yes they are oh um, according to Roland Emmerich, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> say no more, say no the, more. The doomsayer it. of us all. Um, he's back with another disaster film, uh, which I'm not going to complain. I loved it. You know, you know me. And I think you do too. We both love disaster films, mm-hmm. even if they're rubbish. I mean, Independence or, Day or, is my favorite disaster movie of all time. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he is back to direct Moonfall, which comes out in February 22. And it's starring Donald Sutherland, Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, and John Bradley, among others. John Bradley uh, and, of uh, Sam, what's his name? Sam from Game of Thrones. Yes, yes. Uh, playing what looks to be the same character, but in a, Sam, <laughs> in the Sam, modern age. Sam, Sam, get up there and stop the fucking moon from that's, falling that's down. That's me and you, isn't it? You're yeah. Donald Snow and I'm Sam. Without I'm Sam doubt. I've yeah. come back from the dead on more than one occasion. Spoiler yeah. alert. And I've saved your bacon on more than one occasion. So you, you absolutely have. <laughs> <laughs> now get in that fucking library and read some books, will you? <laughs> anyway, uh, in Moonfall, uh, this is great. A mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurtling on a collision course with life as we know it. Oh, God. Uh, with mere weeks before impact and the world on the brink of annihilation, NASA executive and former astronaut Joe Fowler is convinced she has the key to saving us all. But only one astronaut from her past, Brian Harper, and a conspiracy theorist, Casey Hausman, believe her. How many astronauts from her past are there? That's what I want to know. I haven't got many astronauts from my past. Well, if you were an astronaut, then... Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, if you were an astronaut, you'd probably know more astronauts, wouldn't you? Do you think at any point Halle Berry turns, looks at the camera and says... I'm just a little anxious to get up there and whoop the man in the moon's ass. That's all. <laughs> Probably. I mean, this film, it does look, 
typical Roland Emmerich. It just looks mental. It looks insane. But who do you, who do you think like... is going to be playing the president in this film? Oh, <laughs> it's got to have the president take in it. Bets hasn't it? on that, can't we? Yeah. yeah. If it's if it's a move if it's a Roland Emmerich movie and the world is going to end, then it has to have the president of the United States in it. Not of any other country, by the way. Just the president of the United States. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that I've seen the trailer and I know he doesn't play the president, I think Donald Sutherland would have actually been a good. He would have been, wouldn't he? (laughs) (laughs) He would have been. He's Uh, not. Wow. No. Uh, But yeah, it looks insane. It looks like the visuals are going to be awesome. You know, special effects coming out your ears and probably going to be terrible. Oh. <laughs> oh no, I've set him off. No, we got, no, no Pacino. We, uh, <laughs> we got special effects coming out of our ears. <laughs> oh, every week. He's got like Pacino Tourette's. Pachirettes. Pachirettes. Uh yeah, it's gonna be terrible, but I'm gonna love it. I know. I know I am. I think you're gonna love it too. That's Moonfall. In twenty fourteen, the moon will come to us. That's the Feb twenty two. The moon comes to us. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Yep. What else you got for us? You watched, uh, oh. Oh. Well, yeah, just so. <laughs> the Star Wars universe comes back. Keep talking while I'm doing it. Uh, with the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Yeah, so this looks. I'm very excited about this because they advertised right. this at the. Well, they sort of led up to this at the end of the second series of Mandalorian, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the Book of Boba Fett, which coming out on Disney Plus, of course, on December the 29th, mm-hmm. looks really good. Going to be telling the backstory of Mr. Fett himself, Mr. Bobby mm-hmm. Boba, Bobby Fetter, uh, <laughs> Bobby Fetter, my, Bobby Fetter, my great cousin. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I can't wait. It looks really good. Okay. It's it, mm. it's going to be cool to see sort of more of like, it looks like the underworld of the uh, Star Wars galaxy. It's like, mm. it looks like it's going to be sort of the Sopranos meets Star Wars. Yeah. I like it. The the slice noodles, if you will. Yeah. And maybe we'll see Jabba the Hutt. Who knows? Use some Jabba Wanga. Use some Jabba no Bata. Use some Jabba no Bata. Use some Jabba Wanga. You want a wanga? <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. Are you? Are you you've seen you've seen the trailer for this. I'm. Do you know? I'm going to say I'm not that excited, oh, which is weird. I've seen the trailer. I enjoyed the trailer, but I'm going to say I'm not that excited just because, like, I don't know. I didn't love his character in uh, in the Mandalorian. I'm 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 no. totally in love with the Mandalorian. Like, I'm head over heels in love with the Mandalorian. I'm just going to mm-hmm. go out there and say it right now. I'm like, yeah. I'm not saying that I do inappropriate things while wearing a Mandalorian helmet. I'm just going to say. Yeah. That maybe I do them on Tuesdays between <laughs> six and seven PM while I'm alone. Um, other than that, what are we talking about? Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. But other than that, Book of Boba Fett, um, I, I, it's yet to be seen for me. I didn't love the chemistry between him and the other characters, and I also I'm not sure he's a particularly great um, actor. But right. but I mean he's going to have a helmet on for the whole thing, so hopefully. So we'll we'll see. I'm not sure. I'm not that bothered about the underworld of Tatooine, to be honest. Unless Pizza the Hut himself rolls up in a <laughs> in a stretch limousine. He will. He will definitely a stretch land speeder. No one's there. Um, <laughs> well, stretch land speeder. I'm looking forward to it. When's this one out, Phil? December the 29th. Okay. Merry Christmas out. and happy holidays to all of our Disney listeners Plus. for that. 
That sounds awesome. Um, all right. Uh, I was going to quickly just just walk through one movie that I saw the trailer for recently, which is The King's Man, which is Matthew Vaughan's latest installment of The Kingsman uh, spy movies, British spy movies. Um, yes. It, it looks interesting. It's a prequel to The Kingsman, uh, filmed, both films starring uh, Taron Egerton, of course. Um, I, I don't know if there's much... Uh, buzz for this i don't know whether people really are excited about it yeah i don't um, know i enjoyed the other two i really liked them yeah but. the second one not so much um but take me home country roads <laughs> um but the, the yeah i mean this, this just looks a little i don't know forced maybe i feel like it's kind of mm. being forced on us a little bit the trailer has a lot of loud noises um at the end of it it's like coming soon december 22 bang 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 and it's like i'm not sure whether i'm excited for this or whether this loud noise is just making me excited which happens a lot yeah yeah well they've just scared me into it but um (laughs) it's got an interesting cast Gemma arterton's in there you've got ray fines in there reese ifans is in there um as rasputin looks quite interesting yeah um, uh, set during World War, like kind of a World War One period, which is yeah. which is interesting. It's kind of a, a prequel series to prequel show, sorry, movie, sorry to the to the obviously the the other two movies. Um, yet to be seen whether Elton John will turn up in this film. Um, <laughs> Rocket Man, darling, it's Rocket Man. <laughs> fuck off. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. That's all he does. Uh, and he just absolutely fucks off. Pretty much all he does. Pretty much all he does. But yeah, so the King's Man will be out on December 22nd in cinemas and movie theatres worldwide. Phil, I think we should jump into the reviews. What do you think? Let's do it, Pat. Let's do it. Okay. Do do you mind if I get things kicked off? No, you go for it. You've got a busy busy review schedule, haven't you? Uh, I've been, been, I went to the cinema five times in in between episodes, so I'm a little bit uh, shell-shocked, shall we say. (laughs) Yeah. But we are going to fly through the reviews this week, guys. Um, the, The content itself... I'm going to try and keep as short as possible, brief as possible, but as always, it will be spoiler-free. So if you haven't seen any of these films, please don't worry. We're not going to spoil them in any kind of capacity. We're just going to talk about whether we thought they were good or not. All right? All right, let me begin. Uh, Marvel's Eternals. So another day, another Marvel release. Yawn. Yeah. Well, you're not a, you're not as big into these as I am. I'm super into Only because I can't movies. catch up. I'm literally drowning in a sea of Marvel that I can't ever <laughs> escape from. Though. There are worse things to drown in, I would say. Yeah. Just wait till you get to Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Um, anyway, rather than complaining, I think we should be celebrating, Phil. And Ooh. even if Black Widow and Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings were fun but fell into the trap of uh, rather for- formulaic. Um, Disney Plus's new Marvel series Falcon and the Winter Soldier, although punchy, was rather convoluted and offered a diluted and mixed up message on race and equality, which should really have hit harder than it did. Um, it's only really been recently for me when Marvel has drifted more towards the avant-garde away from their formula that it's really landed a punch. Um, I don't think you've seen either of these, Phil, but both WandaVision sitcom twisting brain bender and Loki's stylish and heartfelt seasons on Disney plus um, were an absolute home run for me. They were awesome because they did something different uh, and I love them both. I'm actually rewatching Loki at the moment, but is different always better. Marvel seemed to think so harking back to their initial a team 
releases of Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, um, and and the first Avengers movie or Avengers Assemble if you're in the UK. Um, those were given for bold directors, um, different tones and voices, different filming styles. And that, that really extended into the home run of James Gunn, who directed, was brought on to direct the rather unknown Guardians of the Galaxy. No one had really heard of any of those, you know, yeah. outside the comic book world, any of those superheroes before before that film. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 really was, uh, you know, kind of a, a break from the norm. And it went off into a more comedic direction. Since those days, we've been obviously hit with, quote unquote, hit after hit. However, many of those have been cliched and formulaic reruns in, in the recent releases. Um, and we haven't really seen many clear voices due to the sequelized nature of those releases. Uh, a lot of the same directors coming back to direct, for example, you know, the, the, the kind of further installments of those heroes. Um, so here we find the Eternals, who are a group of 10 protectors, ageless keepers of the peace, sent to defend Earth from the Deviants, a race of giant shape-shifting beasts. The Eternals have been around for millennia. They've basically been watching over the human race, nudging us along. They were here. They came to Babylon, for example, and they they were basically giving us you know tidbits of information that helped us to create the plow, for example, to evolve our process of farming and so on. Bear with me, guys. Right. This is a Marvel movie. I swear to God, I'm going to come <laughs> on to it. Um, the, the Eternals each have their own superpowers. There's 10 of them in total. Um, it goes everywhere from uh, Salma Hayek, who stars as the leader, Ajak, who's kind of spiritual um, and in contact with uh, the, the kind of main, uh, I will say, I'm not going to say too much, but the main celestial being that kind of governs the, the Eternals. Um, physically, the most powerful Eternal is the Superman-like Icarus, who's played by Rob Stark himself, Richard Madden who has the ability to fly and shoot powerful laser beams from his freaking eyeballs. Um, there's Thena, played by Angelina Jolie, who's able to conjure weapons out of thin air. Kingo, by comedian Kumail uh, Nanjiani, who can shoot street fighter-like fireballs from his hands. Gilgamesh, played by Korean actor Don Lee, who possesses super strength, as well as a close bond with Jolie's Thena. Uh, there's also Druig, played by the excellent uh, Irish actor Barry Keoghan, uh, who can possess humans with his mind. Makari, played by Lauren Ridloff, who has super speed. I'm still going. Fastos, played by Brian <laughs> Tyree Henry, a genius tech expert and, and inventor. Uh, Sprite, played, played by Leah McHugh, who can project illusions and fool people into believing that they're real. And Cersei, played by Jenna Chan, uh, Gemma Chan, who can turn inanimate objects into whatever she wants, such as um, a speeding double-decker bus in London into a bunch of red petals. Um, and she actually, Gemma Chan, kind of forms the the heart center of this movie, the more emotional center of this movie. Uh, I would say she's probably the lead of this of this film, believe it or not, with all of that acting talent there. Um, and the movie's probably, I would say, better for it. So there's a lot going on and not a great amount of runtime or podcast time to go into all that detail. Um, but what all I will say is that Marvel Marvel mastermind and studio head Kevin Feige, obviously sensing success as he always does, decided to land director Chloe Zhao pre-Oscar winning prior to her proto-docudrama Nomadland picking up absolutely everything at the most recent Academy Awards, if you remember. Um, Zhao, who is known for her documentary-like, low-light, happy hour-induced productions, 
um, tends to focus on moments of real-world emotional crisis and campfireside conversations between actors and actual real people in her films who are posing as performers. Um, so to the important question first, Phil, that I know you want to know the answer to, does anyone shit in a bucket during the runtime of this film? I'm going to say yes. Sad. <laughs> Sadly, the answer is no on this occasion. But if you do want to see that, we recommend you go back and check out Frances McDormand's performance in Zhao's Oscar Smash Nomadland, because that's exactly what she does. <laughs> um, what this does have, however, is the stunning vistas and scenery you've come to expect from Zhao, as well as the low light and playful character interplay that you've come to expect from her other features. However, this isn't just Magic Hour, the movie. Um, what it does so well is it somehow manages to cram those 10 brand new heroes that I just talked about into a two-hour movie and actually give them character arcs, humor, pathos, emotion, the likes of which another big sci-fi movie that we're going to talk about this week doesn't do in my, in my mind. Um, and we'll come on to that. I'd heard a lot of conjecture and sweet and sour opinions on this movie. Um, what with it at the time of this episode, currently sitting at a 50% rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes critic reviews. Really? There's also been a large swathe of intolerant individuals deciding to vote it down on IMDb due to its inclusivity focus on casting and being the first Marvel movie to, in my opinion, belatedly feature a character which finally showcases individuals of LGBTQ in the Marvel universe. This film is currently banned from Qatar and Saudi Arabia for this reason, with Disney refusing to cut certain scenes. Hopefully, our listeners know me as someone who makes up his own mind, and although you could easily disparage this movie as woke casting, quote-unquote, something we are seeing as extremely important these days, but sometimes can be used rather cynically by studio heads. Um, Eternals cast is, is made up of people with different, of different races, people who are hard of hearing, LGBTQ characters, females in lead roles, heaven forbid. And seriously... If you have a problem with that, you should, number one, unsubscribe from our podcast, and two, take a long, hard look at yourself as to why you feel so insecure when faced with people who are different to you. Okay, so can we move on and focus on whether the movie is good now? Thank you, Phil. I heard you indeed. I went into this movie with very low expectations. I was not overly familiar with the characters, despite being a comic book reader for 30 years. Nor was I that enthralled by the idea of an indie filmmaker such as Chloe Zhao directing an installment of such a beloved to me series of movies. And with that, I can say I was wrong. Eternals treads the same darker path as some of DC's recent output, movies which I am really not a fan of at all. However, Instead of it toiling in the darkness, it's there on the edge of sunset, bathed in a warm glow, both literally and characteristically. And it made me do something I hadn't in every Marvel movie since Avengers Endgame. Feel. Eternals gets a recommendation from the Movie Mouth podcast and is available in cinemas worldwide right now. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. Ooh. Interesting. Oh. Can't really say much more about it. All I can say is that it's a great film in terms of pacing, uh, in terms of character, excellent performances across the board by, I would say, the entire cast, which is unusual for these kind of movies. Sometimes you get someone you think, eh, they don't quite fit. Everybody fits. Chloe Zhao gets great performance out of everyone. Handheld camera shots, probably the best looking Marvel movie you've ever seen. Mm. Um, and also doesn't have the same kind of ending to a Marvel movie that you've been used to. There are twists and turns along the way. 
I, re- I recommend it as it's trying to do something different and we really need that. Brilliant. So you've got a few more to watch, Phil, before you get to that one. Yep. It's top of the pile now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really is. The ever-growing pile. Climbing the ladder. <laughs> um, it does sound good. And I've seen, you know, I saw the, I saw the trailers. I've, seen, I've read the reviews. It does look interesting. I, do, I, I, you know, I do joke about sort of Marvel pumping out a film every six days or whatever it is. But like, you know, there's some really good, interesting stuff coming out from them that I do want to see. One day I will. I'll see the it time. one day. I'll see it one day. <laughs> if not, I'll just get you to tell me about it or listen to the podcast. Just listen to the podcast. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to talk us through Dune? Let's talk about Dune. Would you the say e- this was your most anticipated film of the year? Um, no, because Ghostbusters is coming out this month. That's so true. I think it was the, my most anticipated film of last year, but it got moved of last so year. For me, this was my most anticipated film of the year for sure. Dune. Okay, well, let, I'll go into it and we can have a chat about it. So, yes, this is the very eagerly awaited and much delayed sci-fi epic. Um, and now I'm going to get it straight out of the way and admit that I've not read the book, the 1965 novel by Frank Herbert, uh, on which this is based, nor have I seen the 1981 film of the same name starring Karma Cochran and Sting. David Lynch. <laughs> and Patrick Stewart, I think, as well. And I'm pretty He's sure I've not seen it. Yeah. He plays the sandworm, I believe. <laughs> it's, I've seen everything. He just pops out. I've seen everything. So therefore, I am coming into this as a complete Dune noob. Um, so from what I understand, Dune is one hell of a book and director Denis Villeneuve thought that it would be a bit of a crime to cram all of it into a single film. So Warner Brothers, however... <laughs> <laughs> much like the two-part film It from 2017, uh, they only gave production contracts for the first film. So relying on the, ses- uh, the success of It, or no, maybe the possible success of It, before a second film would be greenlit. So part one, as we have here, covers roughly half of the novel. Um, so don't come into this expecting the story to be wrapped up in a neat little package because uh, you'll probably be a bit disappointed. So, Dune takes place many, many millennia into the future, where humanity lives in a galactic empire that barely remembers Earth. Um, everyone has force fields that are impervious to fast-moving projectiles, so they have to fight with swords instead of guns, and spaceships can travel faster than the speed of light. So it's all very interesting. There's lots of stuff going on, but I like how... Well, I'm particularly a fan of the force field thing because it, um, yeah, puts people, even though it's that far in the future where you'd expect laser guns to be out there and everything and weapons that could annihilate you in seconds. No, they have to get good old swords out and hack each other to death. Um, <laughs> so we follow the story of Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet, uh, who is about to have his life changed when his father, Duke Leto Atreides, Oscar Isaac, uh, accepts control of desert planet Arrakis. Um, and it's uh, Arrakis is the source of spice, which is the most valuable substance in the universe for its life-enhancing properties. But Leto knows the new assignment is a trap set by his enemies. So 
Uh, yeah, in essence, that's quite a weighty responsibility when there's already conflict between the Fremen natives of the planet alongside the spice mining and not to mention some big bastard giant deadly <laughs> sandworms which threaten everyone. Critter. Holy space giant. Tremors. Sorry, not critter. Stre- tremors style. Uh, <laughs> Grabbers! <laughs> we got graboids! Um, yeah, so we are also introduced to the enemies of the Atreides family, including the freaky-looking Baron Harkonnen, uh, played by Stellan Skarsgård, and the Benny Gesserit religious sect, who have a key role in Paul's ultimate destiny. Um, so in essence, there is a lot of backstory um, and new information to be told to the June newcomer like me. Um, People that struggle to tell the Gom Jabars from their Benny Gesserits, would you say? <laughs> Exactly that. Exactly that. <laughs> but I think they did a very good job at explaining, you know, a very uh, diverse sort of made-up galaxy uh, with a lot of its own history. Um, you know, sort of Lord of the Rings style. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I think they've done a good job of that. So it's, much detail. It, yeah, loads of detail. It's it's a it's a long runtime. It's it's two hours forty minutes long. I didn't feel that it it, it dragged at all. It, it's it's not an all out action for uh, film by a, a long stretch. There's a lot of slow moments in it, a lot of development and things like that. But uh, it really didn't drag for me. Um, I was just must have been in the right frame of mind and just really enjoying it. Um, and I think this is helped massively by something that hit me immediately, and that is just how stunningly beautiful the visuals are in this film. So for a sci-fi fan or anyone really for that matter anyone who likes film it is an absolute treat for the eyes this film Mm. the locations the sets the vehicles the visual effects the costumes and the pure scale of it just look amazing yeah like everything looks crisp and everything looks so good and so of the world that it's meant to be set in um not and not only for the eyes it's not only a treat for the eyes but (laughs) your ears are in for a right old treat as well because what do we get? But we get a lovely, very dramatic, very good Hans Zimmer soundtrack as well. Yes, we do. Um, and yeah, he, he invented got... he invented instruments for that, for, really? for that soundtrack. He actually went to, I think he went to uh, the Utah desert or Nevada desert in, in, in the US. And he sat out in the desert for two weeks <laughs> and came up and listened to the sound of the desert. Bloody and hell. listening to the sound of the desert, trying to understand the noises of the desert. I don't know why he's from, from Wales, but um, he's <laughs> are you listening to the are you listening to the sound of the desert? See, <laughs> creating new instruments. Um, but he created new instruments, I think, and like string wow. instruments and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. That's pretty really intense. cool, and it show you know it's a great soundtrack. And you could, in that Hans Zimmer way, you could sort of tell. I was like listening to it, thinking, this is Hans Zimmer, yeah. sure of it. But it sounds, yeah. it suits, but it's not like it's, you know, like other stuff he's done. It just suits the film so well. There's a lot of ominous sort of noises and big noises. And, and there's also space. Can we talk about the space bagpipes as well? <laughs> the space pipes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about those. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, let me continue. So, yeah, a really good Hans Zimmer soundtrack as well. Looks absolutely amazing. Really goes all out to sort of put you into the into the dune world um 
Performance-wise, I think Charlemagne in the lead was fantastic. But to be honest, I, I thought the whole casting was was really good. Nothing to complain about. Um, so, it, yes, it's epic for sure. And now I, I do sort of wish that I read the book before seeing this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've had since before I was born to do that. So that's my fault, really. Because um, this is the kind of film that I think, you know, reading up about this, it's sort of, you know, there's a lot of people that are massive fans at the book of the books um, comparing it to the books. But I think this would be quite a fun one to do that with. Like, cause yeah. it's, it's quite good to compare books like that to, to films. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I can't tell you how it stacks up against the book because I have not read the book. So it'd be interesting to know. But from what I hear, it's a mixed bag of some very good things and some not. Um, so, yeah, it's long. Uh, and I guess complicated to the newcomer like me, but as I said, it's well explained. But with the film looking and sounding as good as it does, I don't really care how complicated it is <laughs> in its massive recommendation from me. Um, yeah. What did you think? You liked it, right? Couldn't agree more. Definitely a recommendation. Um, I actually, it's funny, on the on the, the subject of, of, of reading the book, I actually have read some of the book and mm. and kind of lost patience with it. Uh, and yeah. then on the way back from Hawaii recently, I I did the audio book. I downloaded the audio book and uh, <laughs> probably drank a few too many whiskeys and, and woke up and it was just, it was still playing in my AirPods. And it was like, you know, the Benny Gesserit and the Gomja bars and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was just, <laughs> I don't know where I was. And I was like, this, this is going to be a struggle to get through this. And I, 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 I have ADHD. So I cannot focus on anything for any considerable period of time. And I'm a good reader, but this is just, this was just a problem. Um, but I was so excited for this film. And I have to say, when I left the theater, I didn't really know what to feel. I felt like I'd woken up from a kind of fever dream. You know, mm. when you're in a really deep sleep and you have one of those weird dreams and you wake <laughs> up and you don't know what's real and what's not. I felt a bit yeah. like that. Um, and maybe it was my fault for seeing it on the IMAX screen and, and without really having read the book because I saw it at the opening night. And it looked amazing and it sounds amazing. And I was so blown away by the visuals and the sound that the story kind of became secondary to me. Mm. I think I think what this film, there are two failings of this film that I don't think are particularly this film's fault. The first one I think is there's no real um, empathy or emotion for any of the characters. I don't think you really feel anything when certain people are taken off the board, shall we say. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is maybe more of a failing of the of the writing or maybe it's part of the writing in that that's how it's on the page and in that case you know i'm an idiot but when i go to the movies i want to feel something when someone that i'm that i that i actually like in the film is killed off or does something good and is rewarded and that for me doesn't really happen this it's almost like the characters is the plot is just a is just a, a road to get the visuals where they where the movie needs to go I think the other issue with it is, again, not its fault, is the fact that you've got a movie that was basically the basis for every sci-fi movie um, that you and I have ever loved. Star Wars, even all the way through to The Matrix, you know, with, you know, terminology and mythicism around the one or savior and all this kind of thing. Um, And obviously they're all, you know, they're all influenced by Frank Herbert. They're all influenced by Dune. But the problem is, We've seen that all before, but that again, it isn't a problem of this movie. It's a problem of where I think this movie comes from and how long it's taken to get it to this point. And let's face it, when you look at this film 
um, as what it is, which is art, it is extraordinary. Um, and yeah. Denis Villeneuve, as you say, you know, he's obviously directed some of my favorite movies, Arrival, Sicario, um, you know, and so so many more. Even en- even Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal, I loved. And Blade um, Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049. You know, it's just Which, so many. Again, visually looked great as well. He's definitely got his great. head screwed on when it comes to uh, visuals. And yeah. I and Couldn't agree more. Greg, Greg Fraser, actually, of Rogue One and The Mandalorian uh, was the director of photography on this. Yes. Who was, I think, was an incredible choice. There's that scene on the beach with T- Timothy Chalamet when he's walking on the beach. And you see like the ships kind of flying behind him. And it was a lot like that opening scene of Rogue One, if you remember, where there's yeah, in yeah. Iceland or somewhere, and you see that yeah. that shuttle come down and follow follow them along the beach. I just thought it was it was fantastic. Um from, from that point of view. I think the great news here is that, you know, this movie, and again, we can't talk about too much where it ends, but it does end, as Phil said, halfway through the book. And so it's somewhat of a cliffhanger. It's kind of anticlimactic to some extent. Yeah. Um but it kind of cuts off at a point where, you know, you know more is to come. And I think having spoken to, I mean, one of our good friends, Gavin, reached out to, to me on Instagram, you know, talking about it. And he loves the book. It's like his his Bible, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just said, this great setup, perfect, perfect setup, perfect adaptation of, of part one. Part two is where it's at. I can't wait. It's probably going to be one of my top 10 films of all time. Yeah. So, you know, you take take from that what you will. But yeah, Denis Villeneuve signed on to direct part two now. Warner Brothers have confirmed a greenlit that. And yep. also he's in talks to direct a third movie, Dune Messiah, based on the follow-up book from that, uh, also for Warner Brothers. Um, obviously, there are a few more Dune books after that, written by Frank Herbert and then I believe by his son. But I think they're going to kind of hold off on some of those because they get slightly more avant-garde and surreal and psychedelic as right. the kind of series goes on. So I think they're going to try and keep it to like two, three, four movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah. If you haven't seen Dune already, go see it. It's in theaters right now. You can see it on HBO Max here in the US, but if you do that, do you are you really a cinema goer? Are you really a film fan? You should go and see it on a big screen if you, if you have the choice. It's not always easy for some people with the pandemic and with work and things like that, but highly recommend seeing it on a big screen. I've seen it twice now. I will say second time made way more sense than than the first time. Go see it. Watch it. Cool. All right, should we talk about some more movies? Um, let's do it. All right, let's go. Let's take a stroll into Soho, shall we? Ooh. This is legendary UK director of Spaced Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, Edgar Wright, returning to direct Last Night in Soho, a straight-up chiller thriller that is more in common with late 70s hammer horror than any of his output to date. So this follows sweet-natured, 1960s-obsessed Eloise, played by Thomasin McKinsey, who dream, who, whose dreams come true when she's accepted into fashion school in the bustling heart of London's West End. But her big city life is proven to be a rude awakening um, as a small-town girl when her student halls become rather toxic and a little bit too much for her, and she decides to take up a room uh, in a bedsit uh, of the matriarchal Miss Collins, who's played by Diana Rigg, the famous Diana Rigg, um, in her final film role before she passed away, sadly, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that night in her new bed, Eloise finds herself inexplicably transported back to 1966 and into the body of an ambitious young singer named Sandy, played by uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, 
who you will uh, remember we've discussed very recently in the chess show, which is escaping my mind, Phil. The Queen's Gambit. The Queen's Gambit, thank you very much. Um, And uh, just as things start to get, she gets kind of used to going out and clubbing in 1960s London, um, Eloise slowly starts to kind of unravel into a kind of thriller, horror, nightmare scape. Um, and, uh, this kind of focuses on, I would say the treatment of women, um, in the entertainment industry, um, treatment of women in general, I would say also, uh, mental health issues it delves into. It's not your standard Edgar Wright film, as you may have come to expect. It features knockout performances from all of those actors that I mentioned. Matt Smith is in this as well as a kind of sleazy music industry executive, um, and it also has really nice support from some British acting legends, as you would expect from an Edgar Wright movie, um, with with obviously Diana Rigg, Rita Toshingen, and Terence Stamp is in this as well, in, in a great little role. Um, I think the less I say about the film, the better, due to the twist-based nature of the plot line. Um, but what I will say is that it looks magnificent, um, has a great swinging 60s-based soundtrack, um, soundtrack I've been listening to pretty much nonstop since I saw it. Uh, and a score from British Oscar winner Stephen Price, um, who does some great work on on this one, as he has for some other Edgar Wright movies. And of course, Gravity, you'll know him from. Um, it still features those extreme close-up sound effect transitional shots that you see in a lot of those Edgar Wright movies. You know, yeah. f- For example, they're usually used to, to comedy effect when you see a pint glass being filled up in an ultra close-up and then slammed down on the test. A table, and then someone takes a big slip, sip of it. You know, Edgar yeah. Wright, uh, like a big Simon swoosh Pedro, noise going on, like a yeah. big swoosh noise. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, instead, here, think rapidly zooming close up of a toilet stall lock, which loudly clunks to a, to occupied from available with the clickety clack you would expect. You know, whoosh, you know all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's all in here, but instead of it being played for comic effect, it's now played for horror effect, and it actually works really mm. well. Interesting. Um, but all observations aside. I can say that Last Night in Soho is an intense thriller. It's filled with dark imagery and has an undercurrent of mental health conversations, which should be had in cinema at the moment, while presenting an almost alternate London, featuring a total against type London black cab driver being threatening to one of its passengers rather than, you know, telling you all about their life or asking about your recent holiday trip or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, you know, central London flies by, you know, go been anywhere nice this year, love everything. <laughs> None of that. It's it's a hard, scary London in this, but it's shot really well. Um I've seen five films in theaters over the last 10 days, and I can say that only this film really gripped me to the point of forgetting about the real world. Uh it's kind of like a roller coaster, except in this case, the ride goes on just long enough to offer a satisfying conclusion. Um, and I can't say much more than that. So all in, let's order a pint of numbers and raise a toast to Mr. Wright. Last Night in Soho gets a high recommendation from the Movie Mouth podcast and is available in theatres worldwide now. So go and see it because it's brilliant and I'm really surprising. And I'm pointing at Phil as well. He is. I'm also threateningly like a London taxi cab driver. He's pointing at me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I can't wait to see this. I'm really excited. <laughs> Love Edgar Wright. Loved everything he's ever done. Uh, so, yes, very much looking forward to this because it'll be, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see something different, like you've said. From needs him. to be seen. 
needs to be seen. Yeah. And and like I saw it in a cinema in in here in New York, and the audience seemed to enjoy it. There were quite a few English jokes and references in there that I was kind of cracking up. And the person that I was with was like, "What? What do you? What's so funny? <laughs> what like, are they all about?" Yeah, this guy said that he he's from South London and he'd never been to North London before. That's the way it is, you know. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's a joke. Um, but yeah, for that reason, it's it's definitely worth seeing as well. But absolutely awesome. loved it. Brilliant. Um, all right, I'm going to jump into two mini reviews now, just to close out our review section. Um, I'll, let's go last duel first. So we'll go last duel. Um, so this is Ridley Scott's um, movie, which centers on the last ever. Uh, death by combat execution, shall we say, in France. Um, this movie is directed by Ridley Scott, who is this year 83 years old. What? Um, he, 83 years old. No. Um, he's going back to his broad medieval or historical canvas, just like we've seen with uh, Kingdom of Heaven or, uh, of course, Gladiator. Um He's also currently about to release the Gucci movie, which is coming out with Lady Gaga and, and also Adam Driver. Yeah. Um, and he's currently working on Gladiator 2 with Russell Crowe. Really? I did yes. not know about that. Yes. So he has a full slate right now. Wow. He's released two films this year, which is just incredible for an 83 year Yeah, hurry up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him hear you say that because he'll probably beat the living shit out of you. Ridley Scott's probably, quite yeah. a formidable man. Yeah, um, I hear so, so this 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 movie is it's quite a strange storyline in that it it's so. Firstly, I think what we should say, it's the first film since Goodwill Hunting to be written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Mm. Believe it or not, yeah. um, obviously they won the Oscar for um, Goodwill Hunting when it came out in ninety. I think the Oscars they won in ninety seven. I want to say ninety eight. Um, but in any case, they hadn't written a movie together since since then. So that's that's quite interesting. Um, they're also joined by Nicole Holofcener, who also wrote an element of the screenplay. So, Phil, what I would say is the really interesting part of this is that it centers on the same story told from three different perspectives. Okay. Okay. So you have Matt Damon as Sir Jean de Carouge, who is basically a soldier fighting for the King of France. And he marries a, a woman played by Jodie Comer, uh, Marguerite de Carouge, and she is sexually assaulted, or so we're led to believe, by Adam Driver's Jacques Legree. Yeah. And so Jean de Carouge, Matt Damon, and Adam Driver end up challenging each other to a duel to the death after all of this, um, kind of these, these things that have happened. But what they do is they split this movie up into three chapters. The first chapter is told from Matt Damon's point of view. The second chapter is told from Adam Driver's point of view. And then the third chapter is told from Jodie Comer's point of view. So you see the same scenes, albeit with slightly nuanced changes in the performances that will showcase the central performers' beliefs that this crime okay. that happened was, was you know, driven by them or, or, or whatever. Interesting. Um, it is interesting. It's, all, they also, they also, it's also got a really nice support from Ben Affleck in this, who appears to be in a completely different movie. Um, but he turns up as as the uh, the Lord Duke Pierre, who basically Adam Driver works for, and he is the most camp, over the top, um, orgy having, uh, blonde hair with a with a bleach blonde soul patch. <laughs> it's an amazing soul patch. <laughs> Medieval character, yeah. Um, and we should say by the way, Matt Damon gives good mullet in this movie. Matt Damon, crazy gives good- medieval mullet. Mullet, very crazy, yeah. very medieval. Um, 
But, you know, all, all jokes aside, this does center on a very, very horrific crime, um, the likes of which we actually have to endure twice because it's told from two different people's point of view. So if anyone is kind of a little bit, you know, unsure about seeing that kind of thing, then I would not recommend seeing this film. However, I would say that I did quite enjoy it. It played out pretty well. The duel itself that takes place is also really engaging and fun and brutal. Um, and uh, and is definitely, you know, in terms of scale and scope, it's definitely up there with with other Ridley Scott with other Ridley Scott movies. Be a great Sunday night film. You know, if you if you're going to go to the cinema or you're sitting at home and you want to watch something that's you know uh, more historical in nature and a little deeper deeper in nature to take your mind off those Sunday scaries. Um, so all in all, I would say The Last Jewel gets a recommendation, albeit it's on the borderline there um, for telling the same story three times and maybe not doing too much different with those three different stories. But nonetheless, um, maybe it'll be better on a second watch. It gets a recommendation from the Movie Mouth podcast. So that was The Last Jewel. And uh, oh, should we go and see another Timothy Chalamet film? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is Wes Anderson, one of my favorite directors, uh, top five favorite directors, I would say. Um, Wes Anderson's love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life the collection of stories published in the French Dispatch, which is a basically like a New Yorker type magazine, except it's it's circulated in, in Kansas. So it's a really it's a really strange uh, idea. Similar to the last duel, this takes place over a sequence of three core chapters, uh, which rev- which in this case involve different characters and different storylines. It's bookended by two stories that involve the editor of this this magazine passing away and basically saying, "Okay, I'm passing away. I'm going to die," and he puts it in his will and says, "When I die." The magazine has to be disbanded. The typewriters have to be burned. We have to close the doors, basically. So right. that's how it's kind of bookended as a story. And then the three stories that take place are basically articles. They're articles that are being written by one of the protagonists within those three stories. And this has a typically batshit insane Wes Anderson cast. Uh, you've got Benicio del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, um, Bond favorite Leia Sedu. Uh, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright is in there, Matthew Almerique, um, Steve Park, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Bob Balaban, even Henry Winkler turns up at some point. It's <laughs> it's ins- it's insane um, how many incredible actors and performers are in this. Um, it's very because it's so episodic in nature. It's a little tough to gel with it. I would say. Um, it is. It looks incredible. It's Wes Anderson. It's exactly what you've come to expect from a Wes Anderson movie. It looks great. It sounds great. It's written so well in whip-cracking smart dialogue and you know segues about you know uh, certain meals that are made and how they're prepared and going into finite detail about all of the above. Yeah, amazing. Um, it does also, in some cases, focus into more of a black and white element in a lot of those main stories, which for me took away a lot of the story. It took away a lot of the Wes Anderson charm. I love the colors that he used. For example, Grand Budapest Motel, uh, Hotel, if you think about that film, where the th- with the three different uh, color schemes and also aspect ratios that he used in that um, was just a phenomenally good-looking film. This, I think, it could be an incredibly incredible-looking film. I was a little 
disappointed by the black and white element. Maybe that's my own fault. I don't know. Um, maybe I just didn't get it. I would say in 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 the most part, um, this is, if you're a Wes Anderson fan, this is the same movie you've seen a dozen times over. It's a Wes Anderson movie. Um, and what, what does that really mean? Well, I think when you talk about Wes Anderson, um, you could say that he doesn't really drift too far from his typical kind of stereotype and cliche. Yeah. The good news, however, is that it's not a bad film. It's a little like, Phil, if you imagine your favorite band. Who's your favorite band? Shawaddy Waddy? Is it? Yeah. Shawaddy Waddy? Yeah. Shawaddy... No, Coldplay, sorry, is your favorite band. It's a little <laughs> bit like, let's say you're... <laughs> Go He's giving me, <laughs> he's giving me the death stare. Um, it's a little like your favorite band or singer making an almost identical album to your favorite record. So you know when you release a favorite record, you go, okay, I want to hear that again. I want to hear you know more of that. Yeah. And instead of hitting the mainstream and releasing like a wall of sound radio pleasing stadium rock album that makes you immediately hate that band, uh, they just stick with the same formula. And yeah. we were talking about it earlier with Marvel and that drifting from the formula is a good thing in that case. In this case, it it's kind of starting to get a little wearing i would say and it would be good to see maybe wes anderson do something a little different Mm. sadly it's not in my top five favorite wes anderson films um i did enjoy it and i can't not recommend it i'm I'm really struggling to kind of find a, a, a reason to say that it should not be recommended but i did enjoy it I would say out of all of the movies that, I, that I've seen, the five films that I've seen for the pod this week, probably my least favorite, um, which says a lot considering three of my favorite directors released a film this week. Yeah. However, go see it. If you're a Wes Anderson fan, you're going to love it. Great soundtrack. Looks great. Great cast. Twee dialogue. Owen Wilson's in there on a bicycle riding around and he falls off at some point. You're going to love it. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> the French Dispatch. Go and... Check it out. I think I need a little. I think I need a breather, Phil. What do you think? You need you a need rest. Yeah. I think I might have a sit down. Or instead, Phil, should we be blasted off into space to become the marshals on a space station? What do you think? I think so. It's time for video store corner. Right. Do you know, I think we can add a little parenthesis here, if you don't right. mind, Phil, just Go before we get stuck in. Um, yes. So for our new listeners, Video Store Corner is our classic film discussion section where we like to rent a movie from the video store era and sit down to watch it, just like back in the old days, don't we, Phil? And then what we do is we discuss it in spoiler-filled detail. Uh, we release our Video Store Corner picks each week on our Instagram account, just to give you a little time, a little bit of time to watch it in anticipation of each episode. Um, but obviously, you know, if you haven't watched this week's and you want to watch it, feel free to pause it here or when we reveal the title, and then we can go. You can come back and listen to it once you've watched it. Uh, first off, a big thank you to our subscribers um, who we actually put up a poll on our Instagram story where this particular movie won by a majority of fifty-nine to forty-one against Chevy Chase's Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I know that you I are, still want to watch that. You're again. upset by that, aren't you? <laughs> I am upset. Maybe we'll put it in in for the, the rotation for next time. Yeah. Um, but we're going to adopt this format going forward for Video Store Corner. So please follow us on our Instagram account with our handle, which is 
at Movie Mouse Podcast, and you can become part of the show and actually choose the video store rental that you'd like us to discuss each episode. Um, and feel free to send us any recommendations that you might have as well through that channel. Okay, Phil. Well, would you like to tell us? <laughs> so, please just tell right. us whether we watch this week. <laughs> we watch. I wanted to do the walk into a video store thing. I don't know. I, I haven't got the energy to do it. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so, we watched a film that we've both never seen before, and I'd actually never heard of before. But you had, hadn't you, right? Yeah. So, uh, so we watched the 1981 sci-fi uh, thriller <laughs> Outland. So this stars uh, Sean Connery as Marshall William T. O'Neill. <laughs> I'm already laughing. I can't. Right. I'm going to tell you the plot. Okay. <laughs> So, an honest marshal in a corrupt mining colony on low. Uh, or no, it's not low. It's IO, isn't it? It's, it's IO. Because I-O. they, and I'll tell you how I know it's IO is because in they the, in the opening titles, it comes up, <laughs> all the information's coming up on the screen like a computer. Yeah. It goes, IO, pronounced I E Y E, comma, apostrophe, O H. <laughs> I O. <laughs> yeah, that's just right. so you I-O. know it's not it's not I O or E O or low. Uh, low. So an, an, an honest marshal in a corrupt mining colony on I O, Jupiter's oh, yeah. sunless third moon, is determined to confront a violent drug ring, even though it may cost him his life. After his wife angrily deserts him, he waits alone for the arrival of killers hired by the company to eliminate him. I mean, wow. What a plot. I mean, we that's, read that. Yeah, you we sent had, that we, to me, didn't you? I sent that to you, and I was like, this has got to be in contention, isn't it? Surely. Phil, Phil sent that to me, and I just went, this sounds like the most Phil movie I've ever heard of. We have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we still put it to a vote, and it did win. But you had two You had two suggestions this week, which is unlike yeah. you. Usually you're just like, we're going to watch this, or I'll be like, we're yeah. going to watch this. And you came up with two crackers. Yeah. So I think... You know, I think what we should do going forward is you should pick one and I'll pick one. And then they can get voted on. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. It sounds good. Done. It's a good idea. I like it. Yeah. So you put this you put this one forward to me. It's interesting. This is directed by Peter Hyams, friend yes. of the podcast, because of course we had a video store corner on oh. his other movie, 1994's Time, Time Cop. Cop. What a film. <laughs> what a movie. Uh Read My Soul. What does it say? It says "fuck you," whatever he says. I can't remember. What he says. It's where these boots they pay me to wear. Yeah, Wolverine, um, Wolverine boots. Uh, yeah, he also so, did like sudden death as well, didn't he? With he Van did Damme. do sudden. He does, he's, he's done, done quite a few Van Damme films. It looks. He loves Van Damme. I wish Van Damme um, was in this. Uh, so do I. Actually, he would have been incredible, and he would have done the splits everywhere, wouldn't he? All over the shop. He would have done the splits absolutely all over the place. So let's talk. Just little, set the scene a little bit more. Um, so this this movie basically follows these miners on this on this mining colony on the moon. Um, what are they mining, Phil? Did, was that was it ever really clear what they're mining? No, they didn't say. They didn't say. Stuff. They're just mining. They're mining something like in Alien when they're transporting something. You never really know what it is. Um, basically, we see these these miners in their spacesuits mining something. Uh, they're building and constructing all kinds of buildings on this on the moon. 
on and um one of them goes absolutely batshit crazy and decides to cut a hole in his suit and his head explodes and then <laughs> oh, floats in off fantabulous fashion <laughs> in the brightest red blood you've ever seen hitting the uh yeah. the, the the what do you call it the helmet yeah it looks the like jam. the helmet looks like it looks like jam. jam yeah it's the radio's jammed sir the radio's jammed <laughs> space balls joke right there um one or two people get jammed in this, don't they, Phil? Anyway, I it turns three. out three people get jammed in this uh, in Spaceballs fashion. Fully yeah. is like a raspberry jam, isn't it? It's quite yeah, it's a, all over the place. It's all it's over quite the violent. place. It's a violent jamming. Yeah. Um, we we then turns out that basically some of these workers have been taking this amphetamine, which has yeah. been driving them to madness and thus suicide. Polydichloric um, euthymol. Polydichloric ethanol. Eth- ethanol, isn't it? Uthamol. Um, ethanol. 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 Chris Eubank. So I think... Polydichloric ethanol. So I think, you know, in the most part, uh, as a plot line, it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out this amphetamine is being circulated on this, this moon, and basically Sean Connery, who's been there for two weeks with his with his wife and his young son um, has arrived as the marshal and he's there to sort it out. He's there to basically sort this colony out and make sure that he keeps everyone in check. But when Sean Connery arrives and he goes and has a meeting with the kind of leaders of the colony, uh, his first meeting, he comes home to find that his wife has left him <laughs> and taken her son back to the space station with a plan to go back to earth because she's just bored of him. But it's I mean, kind of weird. That sounds like a short journey as well, but literally that means that she's left him for like a year because like it takes a year to get back to Earth. It takes a year to get back to Earth from, from yeah, Jupiter. From Jupiter. Um, but the, the really sad thing was is that he was in this meeting like at this point. You see him at the beginning with his wife in this like little, you know, cabin on the pod. space, on the little pod that he lives in. Uh, and he's, his wife's very loving towards him. She's yeah. kissing him and cuddling him and, oh, love you. It made me hate his wife. Like, it she made me even, hate his wife She was too. there for like two weeks. Like, se- seriously, two, two weeks. weeks. And then two, blah, blah, two, <laughs> weeks. Uh, two weeks. They were literally there for two weeks and she couldn't take it. And enough, so much that she felt she had to leave him behind his back while he was in a meeting. Yeah. And, uh, but do you know what he was doing in that meeting? This made me even sadder. He was discussing uh, getting treats for his wife, wasn't he? He was. He yeah. said, he stood up and he said, uh, and yes, of course, um, my wife's here also. And uh, if any of your wives would happen to like to be friends with, with her, maybe provide some treats. Her name's Carol. <laughs> She'd love to meet you. She's a very lovely lady. Yeah. And then she and just Please say hello. She's quite lonely at the moment. And then he sits down there like, oh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. And then it cuts. And the next thing you know, she's leaving him. Disgusting. I felt, I felt really sorry for him. I felt maybe really sorry for him as well. Message. He was completely on his own in this. She told him my video calling. message. Yeah, she told him. Yeah, she she announced this via video message, which we have to endure twice, twice because he yeah. plays it back again in a lonely uh, moment. Yeah, in a lonely, in a, I'm having a lonely moment. <laughs> um, so I mean, that's pretty much the plot. And basically, Sean Connery falls foul of the, should we say, the kind of uh, the the run the leader of the of the mining colony, the general manager, general manager Shepherd, um, <laughs> here. <laughs> Here played by Peter Boyle. I think Peter Boyle was really good in this, actually. He was, he was really um, good. Hmm. 
and um and he he basically runs the kind of union on all these you know all these miners that are in this colony doesn't he yeah yeah he's like the yeah he's like the the leader and it's sort of quickly uh he quickly asserts himself doesn't he in that very meeting where sean connery is sort of introducing his wife and things like that uh, he sort of very quickly says oh you know we you know you're coming into a tough job here marshall because basically we didn't explain that Sean Connery plays a marshal, and the, uh, which is basically like the leader of the the police while he's there, and they are on a twelve month rotation. So you, you can only stay on the colony. You do like rotations on the colony for for twelve months, and then you go back to wherever. Uh, and he's the newest marshal in town, so he's literally just arrived. And um, yeah, yeah, Peter Boyle as Shepherd is sort of saying, you know, sort of he comes out doesn't he, in the first meeting and says, Oh, you know, we, we work our guys really hard, but we let them play hard. And, you know, we, we're pretty lenient on them. And he said, it goes quite awkward, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, he's like, yeah, we, we're lenient on them. So, you know, we let some things slide and he's sort of given him, he, he gives him this very good sort of like speech to he? where he just looks like an arsehole. A complete um, arsehole. And he's like, you know, if you, if you, uh, you keep out of the way of my boys, and we'll keep out of yours. That kind of thing. It's yeah. that kind of thing. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically. I mean, what this, what this is actually based on. I don't know if you knew this, but this is. It's a, it's a remake of the fifties cowboy western High Noon. It is. So I've got some trivia about that later. Yeah. So it's, it basically follows that plot. Um, that film obviously starring Gary Cooper, um, and this, this, this one centers on the same plot it's basically a marshal if you think about a marshal going to an old west mining town to have to sort it out with a wife that doesn't want to be there and the people don't want him there um, but he still sticks to his integrity to have to clean it up and thus ends up um, with a countdown to a gunfight which takes place you know you know at noon ironically in 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 the original film so that's that's what this is centered on and in this it's the same thing it's just adapted for space Really, Phil, it should have been called High Moon, shouldn't it? Oh. I mean, they missed oh. out on a, on a trick there. I was thinking, I said that last night to the person I watched it with, and she was like, Yeah, no. that's way better. High Moon. High Noon. High Moon. <laughs> Starring Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Although oh. we have got Moonfall also in this episode that we've yeah. discussed. So. Very true. So I think that, that kind of outlines the plot. Um, best scene. I mean, what would you say? Your, what would you say? What, what, you got anything well, else to say about this? Yeah, I will say, right, I, the first, like, maybe hour of this, how long is it? I did write it down. An hour and 45 minutes. An hour and 40, yeah. An hour and 40 yeah. something. The first hour of this, I was, like, properly impressed, like, of how, um, like, I thought this was going to be properly cheap, from especially from the, just the poster is all I'd seen. I didn't even watch the trailer because I wanted to save it. I wanted to, I wanted to, I didn't want any of it to be ruined. I didn't want to see anything of its style. I just wanted to watch it and be fully immersed. And I will go to say that this looks great. Like the sets in this, there was a lot of money spent on this, like a lot awesome. of money because the sets awesome. are brilliant. Like yeah. the whole, there's some really big sets. The whole, like, yep. like the bar is amazing. It looks like straight yep. out like the cantina bar. I think you pretty much probably just grabbed that from the set. <laughs> I think they did three years early yeah, <laughs> and yeah. put it in there. Um, and it looks like a cross between like alien. Well, yeah, alien. And again, I've got some really good trivia about that later, but it looks like it was heavily, you know, cause again, it was similar times. So I bet you they use some stuff from that. But yeah. it looked great, this film. And I thought it like, looked the first amazing. hour had a lot of promise. And then it just went to absolute, just insane 
of that <laughs> insanity. Shit. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think but, though, just on the, on that point, I think it even if you if you remember the titles of Alien, it even starts the same way. Yeah. It starts. You have the logo in it with the space background, and it starts coming through Outland, <laughs> and there's. There's the green writing coming up on the screen. You know, like computer writing. And then there's a score, which strangely sounds a lot like Alien. Turns out it's Jerry Goldsmith who directed, who who did the score to the Alien movies. Yeah. And it sounds exactly the same. Exactly. It's that like, ding, ding. You know, a lot of that yeah, kind of like. It's exactly the same. Over the top. It's exactly the same score. Well, look. Let, let me give you this bit of trivia first before we go into the trivia set. I'm going to give right. you, because we're talking about it now already. Mm. So over the years, right, fans have formulated a theory that this film could very well be set in the same universe as Alien. Because it was, Alien was out in 79. This was out in 81. Uh, due to many similarities, right? Mm. So both were presented by Alan Ladd Jr., who greenlit Alien as president of 20th Century Fox, uh, and Outland as the head of the Ladd Company. And scored, as you said, by Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. Uh, nine department heads involved in production design worked on both movies. Each movie features a huge conglomerate that deals in interstellar mining and transport uh, yeah. and is colloquially known as the company Con-Am. and operates with little regard for the safety or well-being of its employees. Both yeah. fe- movies feature a very similar production design that presents a used future where structures and technology don't look state-of-the-art but worn out and visibly aged in Mm -hmm. both movies. Mm -hmm. And and they both have a protagonist who uncovers a company conspiracy after which attempts are made to silence them uh, and they are finally left defending themselves completely on their own. Neither movie is set in a specific year, although Alien was retroactively set in 21-22, so they could take place in the same time frame. Lastly, the character Kane in Outland uh, could be homage to Kane, played by John Hurt in Alien. Wait, hang on. Who was Kane in Outland? Kane was like the. Uh, he was one of the. Uh, wasn't he one of the, <laughs> the ones that. Hold on. He got killed. Everyone got killed. I don't remember Kane in Outland. Uh, it's played by Eugene Lipinski. There's. Wasn't he? I don't know. He might be one of the guys that went in like the lift or something. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, the guy that just got absolutely, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. So, we just explained. There's a guy in an elevator that goes into an airlock without a suit on, and he decides to go down, decompressurize into the pressures of space, and they open the elevator, up. and he's laying on the floor with all his innards hanging out. He's one of many um, that blows up. But I think I think you know Alien. Uh, you wouldn't have been surprised if a xenomorph jumped out on Sean Connery at any point in this film, would you? Yeah, right. And to be honest, for most of it, I wanted a face hugger to attack his wife while she was on the video link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she was yeah. horrend- a horrendous woman. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I uh, yeah, definitely. I think you know the technology and things like that in this they were pretty they were pretty fun. Um, I think there were some like ones that made me laugh. Like there was like a like a full-on QWERTY keyboard that was, yeah. like, you know, clunky plastic keyboard that they're using. And oh, the when she's like, was it the analyzing the blood? When she's yeah. analyzing, yeah, and she's pressing like the same four buttons on that giant keyboard. Yeah, she's analyzing some blood to, to find out whether what you know what these guys are taking that's making them go crazy. And it's like, yeah, she's just pressing the same four buttons. Um, and then there's also um, these lockers and doors 
they have these keypads, which upon closer inspection appear to be a 1980s calculator, yeah, um, which yeah. has just been stuck in. And, and there's a moment where we see someone open a door and she goes up to the door and she presses six, 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 and the door opens. Yeah, it's like <laughs> and you all see it come up on the screen. That. I, do you know what I was, I was waiting for her to type eight zero zero eight one three five or boobies. Boobies. I was waiting for someone Classic. to type boobies. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been my combination to my locker if I was on that planet. One hundred percent would have been yeah. mine too. Boobies, boob. I think everyone's combination would have been boobies. Um, but yeah, um, and I like the fact best... that I, like, I was just going to say I like the fact that you need a key card to do anything in this film. Like they all have key cards, and you put them in a slot, and it gives you access to everything. That's true. Seems like a flawed That's security true. system. It is a bit, isn't it? Just take the key yeah. card, open all the doors. Yeah. Um... Decrypt message. <laughs> <laughs> I what do love the fact your, that this what is. What was your best scene, though, Phil? Best scene. Uh, well, I mean, there's <laughs> uh, there's two, two I've got to mention, right? One because it's just uh, terrible. Like it looks bad and it was awful. And it was the scene towards the end where one of the two hitmen, I, I was expecting this like team of hitmen to come for him, right? Like, you know, on the ship. And there's a massive countdown and it makes a big deal of the, the loudest clock in the world, like counting down to when these hitmen are arriving on the next transport into the, onto the moon. And, um, two guys just show up, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> with these weird, like shotguns, sniper shotguns. So this is a bit odd. Um, yeah. And he kills the first one in a clever plot with the help of the doctor, didn't he? The second he one, uh, that was good. That was good in like the tunnel. The first one he kills, him. he's in a like a a tunnel that appears to be made out of paper, inflatable, inflatable, <laughs> an inflatable tunnel. Yeah, yeah. And he just hacks into it, and the guy gets sucked out into the vacuum of space. And yeah, and that was his good. head explodes. Yeah, his head explodes. Yeah, that was great. Uh, and then the second one, he's in a giant greenhouse, isn't he? He's in the greenhouse he quadrant no, of the moon. No, the bad guy is, yeah. The bad guy yeah, is the in, bad guy in the is. giant and, greenhouse. And Sean Connery, uh, Marshall O'Neill, is in a spacesuit in, you know, fair enough. It was 81, so some of the, they look a bit janky, like some of the scenes where he's like walking along the, the, the space. It just reminded me of Red Dwarf, like the beginning of Red Dwarf when they're painting yeah. the ship. At the it's models. It's models. Yeah, it's all models. models. So I like the models in this, though. I like great. The, the models, I'm really, that yeah. whole, and I, again, diversion, but the, the first scene where they do that um, uh, slow pan down the elevator mm. and it, yeah. it turns, it's a model and you see like people coming out of the elevator, which is mm. a model. Obviously, they superimpose them. But then it swipes over and it transitions into like real, the real, the real set. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. brilliant scene. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, the bad guy's in this greenhouse and he's clearly like the dumbest person in the world because what does he do? But he decides to try and shoot at, not even at Sean Connery. He shoots at him throwing like well, a bit of metal Sean, screen Sean, down. Sean Connery rips a roof tile off and throws it. And as it throws falls, it. it's a giant rectangle that's in falling silhouette. in one sixth of Earth's gravity. So it's like falling. <laughs> Very slowly in silhouette. And you can clearly see that it's a giant rectangle. It's not a, a man. Yeah. But this guy decides to shoot the giant rectangle, which is outside the glass. the glass. He shoots the glass. He shoots the Shoots the glass. And he shoots the glass. The bullet goes through the glass. And obviously, you know, it then <laughs> ruptures and, and sucks it out. all the plants out of the greenhouse. But then there's a hilarious bad CGI him going, oh! And he's just his body like flying towards the glass. 
His body flies towards the glass, but then did you see what happens? When he goes out into space, it just turns into like red streaks. It just goes, yeah. bloop, bloop, and he's dead. Bloop, he explodes. And Done I think for. you explode in space. I think that you freeze. Yeah, that'd make more it's sense. It's a vacuum. Mm. It's, a, it's a freezing vacuum. It's less cinematic though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But can we just talk uh, about Sean Connery's Darth Vader impression during that? Oh, I thought exactly that. that. Yeah, definitely. There was a full on like you might as well have just lifted the sound effect and put it over there. Yeah, when uh, he's in, when he's outside this mining colony, he's running around in his spacesuit. He's breathing to, very heavily. Yeah, he's trying to. He's he's doing like a Home Alone impression, isn't he? It's just like Connery does Home Alone in space, basically. <laughs> at this point, he's got shotguns hidden in special hatches, and he's like yeah. blowing windows open. And this is my house. I have to defend it. And at one point, he's he, he's running along the roof of this space station, and all you can hear is, oh, oh, oh. And that's him breathing, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's very well. It's up. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. I mean, one scene I have to talk about, because it was one of the hardest uh, bits of film I think I've ever had to watch, was the video call between him and his kid at the end. <laughs> The kid, no, no offense. Uh, can we just say, let's just before you just let's just let's just preface this with the fact that Sean Connery is a Scottish man, his yes. wife Carol is very English, very oh, God, English. Will. the most yeah, English blah, 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 blah. person, the most English yeah. ever. Paulie, who's the Paulie. son, the most American Paulie. kid ever. Hey, Paulie comes out with this, he's got an American accent, yeah, he's ha- having never been on earth. Yeah, <laughs> Whereas Paul, having never been on Earth, apparently he's an absolute American, even though he's been around these two, like Scots and English person. But it's like, is Paulie there? Can I shoot Paulie? And Paulie goes, hey, pie, how's it going? You all right? I'm just making a gob of gold. Forget about a little spaghetti. <laughs> Do you get the feeling, though, that, like, because this, he has this weird video call with it, doesn't he? Like, because he speaks to his wife. And then she's, yeah. he's like, can I The kid was probably. sitting in a room with a camera, and that was all. Um, he was not seeing it sitting opposite an actor no because he wasn't reacting. But it is the worst acting I've ever seen. Painful. Like it's pa- absolutely painful. But dad, are you coming with us? Mummy said that we are going to Earth. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he's like, "Is it nice on Earth, Daddy?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yes, it is, Paul. It's it's wonderful." <laughs> mummy said, "It's like, oh, shut up, Paul, you prick. Just yeah. put mummy back on." What do you, you, what do you think? Oh, Go it was on. just awful. It was just an awful, awful scene. It was hard to watch. You could see what did like, I? Always, I just wondered if Sean Connery was actually like re- reacting to that. If he was doing just one half of it and it hadn't been recorded yet, I don't think Connery had seen it. I don't think Connery no, had seen it. He kind of. I don't think he would have left. He would have gone. He would have said, "Delete me out of this film I'm immediately." I'm leaving right I'm now. Um, I, I, what, what do you think of Connery's performance in this? I thought Connery was fucking excellent in this. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, like really good. It's, it really suited him as a role. Yeah, uh, the I, most... love, I do. I do love how they. For me, you know, obviously Sean Connery with his very noticeable accent. What I love about this, and this is maybe quite more of a question than anything, or just an observation. Why did everything Sean Connery have to interact with begin with the letter S? <laughs> <laughs> so he's in space. He's on a space station. His. His vi- the villain he's going up against is called Shepard. Yeah, he he's wearing a strangulation collar to stop him from getting strangled. Oh, yeah. well, how did he know he was going to get strangled? I was going to bring that up. I forgot about. We'll come to that. We'll come to okay. that. And how and how about a nice game of squash? <laughs> <laughs> or 
for for lack of a better word, how about a nice game of space squash? Space squash. Uh, plus, he's a, a marshal. I know it's marshal. Marshal, marshal that plays space squash in space on a space station with Shepard <laughs> and Doctor Lazarus. Yeah, Lazarus. interesting. Very interesting. Mm. Uh, yeah, tell tell the people about the meat locker scene because I found that I okay. laughed. I laughed out loud. I forgot about it. Okay, so but I, I Sean Connery confronts Shepard, and Shepard is is clear that he's going to do something to try and take out Connery, the marshal. Yeah. Um, Connery himself doesn't really have any friends. His best friend uh, on the station. I say his best friend. This is a guy that went to meet him after two weeks and told and said he felt sorry for him for his wife leaving him and brought him some food. And Sean Connery told him to basically fuck off. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this guy ends up getting strangled in a locker with a piece of piano wire um, and his tongue hanging out. (laughs) Phil's doing the perfect impression. (laughs) When Phil gets strangled, that's exactly what he's going to look like. (laughs) Joe, I can't even describe it. All I can say is that Phil's bloated, sweaty face has his tongue poking out. It's really quite (laughs) disgusting. Um, So Sean Connery decides to go investigate this meat locker where he knows the drugs are being imported into the space station. And he finds a giant cow or pig uh, with general manager written on it. And inside that, that pig, handy that. General manager, you should say general manager's amphetamine drugs, is what you should say. <laughs> drug um, stash. But as he reaches inside that festering carcass to pull out the, uh, the drugs, someone sneaks up behind him and starts strangling him with a piano wire. And Sean yeah. Connery apparently collapses to the floor and dies. Um, and in the, the worst... You knew he wasn't dead because he's only halfway through the movie. Sean Connery, of course, comes back from the dead and decides to kick the living shit out of the guy um, behind his back. Yeah. Um, but as as Sean Connery then has killed this guy and the guy's laying on the floor, he reaches into his turtleneck sweater and he pulls out a apparently a, a, some kind of strangulation collar that he was wearing all along and throws it on the floor. Like he knew that was going to be a threat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to get strangled on my watch. <laughs> it's like, fucking hell, lucky I put that on. I nearly did. did. Carol bought me that strangulation collar for Christmas <laughs> last year. Lucky I brought it with me from Earth. <laughs> the other thing that's fucking hilarious about that is when he gets up off the floor, having feigned death by strangulation, how does he start to beat the guy up? He mashes the guy's face against the carcass and absolutely like breaks his face like with such force. The guy's face explodes against his the face carcass. explodes against against the side of a dead pig. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. What force know. he's got? Maybe it's a frozen pig. Ah, uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it was, but still, that's a lot of force. I tell you what, though. I tell you what. Like all jokes aside, there were some really cool scenes in this. Like you talk about that shot at the beginning. Yeah, there was a really cool shot. Really cool camera work I loved in this. There were a lot of scenes of Sean Connery running in trainers or sneakers yeah. down cor- very thin corridors and, oh, and round corridors. corners. And there was a lot of steady cam work in this with a camera following him. Yeah. The cameraman just holding it. You could see there weren't any rails or tracks. It was a cameraman holding probably a fucking giant 35 mil Panavision yeah. camera and running after yeah. him, you know? It was, it looked, there was some really cool stuff. I think it looked great, like you said earlier. Sounded great, a great soundtrack, and it was full of moments of tension, I would say. It was, Maybe a, a little dull in places. Yeah. But I was pretty engaged by it, I thought. I was. I liked it way more than I thought I would. And that whole chase scene where he's chasing that guy down. Like, and that really exact go, scene. That, that really like shows off like the, the, the sets and stuff in that. Because you, you know, go through every set they've got, basically, in that chase scene. Yeah. Didn't they? yeah. Um, yeah. But I really like that. 
and it was like yeah it was properly like <laughs> it was more well one it was more violent i thought the film was going to be more yeah graphic. it's a lot more violent yeah yeah um a lot more sweary than i thought it was going to be but a little i thought i thought it was going to be i th- i thought it was going to be like a one man performance when i saw it yeah, I thought it was I felt be like a... it was going to be more intimate with Connery, but there's actually a lot more going on on that. On that, yeah. But there. I did find it weird that when I don't know, it's probably for the mood of the thing. But I did find it weird that when he was left on his own, like to fend against the two guys, the way that like the whole mining town was like, just disappeared, desolate. <laughs> like mm. this is no one there apart from in the bar. And speaking of the bar, can we talk about the two people fucking on the podiums while everyone's just <laughs> like sit there constantly drinking drinks? Just two people painted black. Just yeah, buggering just them each other senseless. Each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bit weird. It was quite weird. Quite eighties. Yeah. They had to um, do that every night. They did. <laughs> they did. Um, I also, by the way, just speaking about favorite lines, there was the scene when Sean Connery talks to the female Doctor Lazarus at the beginning, and he's really not making any friends, Sean Connery, from the very beginning of this. No, but he says. Um, I'd like a report on every suicide event over the last six months. And I'd like it really soon. Or I might just kick your nasty ass all over this room. That's a Marshall joke. And then he walks off. Yeah, I love that line. That was great. But she was a bitch. She was a bitch to him. Your nasty ass. I also like, there's a lot of good dialogue actually between him and the doctor. Good dialogue. Uh, Good rapport building. I I liked. And yeah, and there was... um, the scene where like you know he knows the guys are coming and she knows everyone knows that these guys are coming to kill him and uh he's playing squash on his own after yeah. his mate had died and yeah. uh she she comes in to visit him the doctor dr marion lazarus and uh she says uh you know they have this nice chat and she says like why are you staying sort of thing and connery gives this like massive speech about like his morals and why he's going to stay and hang around to try and like kill these guys rather than just get out of there sort of thing. And then uh, she just goes, uh, your wife is one stupid lady. You want to go get drunk? And he just goes, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That's a good scene. That's a good yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah. I like you that. You can imagine that, like him being in a, in the old West in a saloon in a bar and the doctor comes in. It's that, isn't it? It's like, yeah. it's that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, uh, any any trivia, more trivia on this one? I've got a few bits, yeah. So um, this is sort of interesting. So this is one of the few movies to be released uh, uh, theatrically with the Megasound system Mm. format. So Megasound was a movie theatre sound system created by Warner Brothers in the early 80s. Uh, It was used to enhance the premiere engagements of a handful of Warner Brothers movies. Theatres equipped for Megasound had additional speakers mounted on the left, right, and rear walls of the auditorium. Selected tran- soundtrack events were with lots of low-frequency content, thuds, crashes, explosions, etc., uh, were directed to those speakers at very high volume, creating a visceral effect intended to thrill the audience. That sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, I suppose we've got a bit more of that now anyway, with like better sounded cinemas and things. But still. I will say that I had to. I rented this on Amazon and I had to turn the volume all the way up. I couldn't uh, hear the dialogue. It was quite a quiet mix, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the music and the sound effects were way too loud. Maybe it's not mega sound. Uh, weirdly, in another sort of process, uh, the first movie, this was the first movie to use the IntraVision front projection process, so mm. which allowed an actor, actress, or other live action element to be sandwiched by a projected background and foreground element all in the same shot. Uh, it was like James Cameron adopted that in a big way. 
for the yeah. aliens for yeah, aliens exactly. in Terminator Two. So very cool. So it was the first yeah. film to do it. Cool. Uh, so as you'd mentioned earlier, uh, this movie draws on the Gary Cooper classic High Noon from 1952. Yeah. So killers are on their way to kill the marshal, who finds himself abandoned by his deputies and with none of the residents willing to stand within numerous villains await the arrival of the killers. Uh, as the arrival time approaches, Sean Connery enters a public facility in High Noon, a saloon, and then a church, and speaks to the townspeople, repeating the classic Cooper line, I could use a little help. Uh, and receiving none. <laughs> wow. uh, as in High Noon, the response is that uh, his job is to protect them and not the reverse. His only ally is a woman with a solid reputation, in this case a doctor who describes herself as being one step short of a malpractice suit. <laughs> a shoot. Wow. Um, malpractice shoot. Gene Hackman. That's, that's what they fire them out, isn't it? They fire them out of the malpractice, malpractice shoot into space. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll fire uh, out the fucking malpractice shoot if you're not careful, Doctor. <laughs> uh, Gene Hackman, James Brolin, and Clint Eastwood were considered for the role of William T. O'Neill. So they were going for that kind of age group. Yeah, definitely. Mm, yeah, mm. I could have seen Hackman doing that, but maybe yeah. less actiony. Maybe I don't know. Right, um, Popeye, Do- Popeye Doyle in the French Connection wasn't he? Was calling that? Yeah, and then I think you know we talked about the similarities with Alien, but also. So we said earlier that the film is centered around the fictional synthetic amphetamine drug polydichloric euthymol. That's a, that's a hard thing to say. Polydichloric euthymol. Uh, in the 1991 film Terminator 2 Judgment Day, the words polydichloric euthymol are seen on a small yellow barrels of explosives. Get out of here. Yeah. That must yeah. be in when uh, Dr. What's his name? Miles Bennett blows yeah. up the... Yeah. Blows up the facility. <laughs> Click. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, Outland. I liked it. I will probably watch it again at some point. Outland. I liked it. I will probably watch it again at some point, too. <laughs> yeah. Pretty Good. cool movie. Yeah. Go watch Outland, folks. Sean Connery, 1981. Like he's blowing the hell out of everyone. He's a curmudgeonly old bastard in it. And his wife leaves him. But with the neatest trim beard you've ever seen in your life. Really neat. At one point he gets shaved and it's longer again than it's shaved again. That was yeah, quite yeah. cool. Was but it's sharp trip. as fuck. Space, isn't it? That's what happens in space. Yeah. They've got machines Beards to shave you. And then it grows it and then it goes back again. Yeah. Um But yeah, and where where did you watch this one, Phil? Uh I rented it on um what did I rent it on? I don't know if it's Amazon or one of the one of the rental platforms. You can rent it over there in the UK. You can rent it here yeah. as well in the US. It doesn't appear to be on any of the streaming platforms. But it's worth it, I would say, if you haven't seen Outland or if you haven't seen it in a while, go back, check it out. Um pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty bloody good. Pretty bloody good. Okay, so that's all we've got time for this week, folks. But join us on the next Movie Mouth podcast slice of movie and TV-related podcast fun. But before then, please follow our Facebook and Instagram accounts at at Movie Mouth Podcast and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Feel free to leave us a five-star review if you have the chance. We would really, really appreciate it. And Phil won't come to your house and kill you. I won't. There's just one last thing to say, Phil, isn't there? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Go on then. Say it. No. <laughs> You're actually not going to say it. No.
Shall I do it? Yeah. I'm only borrowing your space station. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye.